Well, good morning, and welcome to the vineyard once again. My name is James, and I am the worship pastor here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. If you're a guest or a visitor here today, or your friend has dragged you along, we hope that you feel at ease, and we hope that you feel super welcome this morning. Um, I have one exciting thing to let you know about before we open up the scriptures together, and it is we are having a Vineyard Regional Family Gathering here in this venue, the first Sunday in March, which is the third, at 7 p.m. If you've never been along to one of these nights, they are always special. When we get the whole family together, it's always exciting to see what the Lord wants to do in those nights. Um, But another perk for the night, if you come along, um, you will be within the first few people that can get your hands on one of these, the Legacy EP. Some of you are like, what is the Legacy EP? Well, last October we gathered together in this venue as a region, all the Finyard families together, and we worshipped and seeked the Lord for a whole weekend. And off the back of that, we ended up capturing some of those moments um, when we worship together, and we've recorded that and put that on a, a CD. Um, so if you come along to that night, you will be within the first group of people that will get to get their hands on one of those. If you're not interested in the EP, just forget that. Come along. It's going to be a great night. I can promise you that. Have you got you in? Yeah? Have you got it in your diary? Fantastic. Brilliant. Great. So this week we're going to be continuing on with our series basics. So far we've looked at the importance of scripture in our life. We've also looked at how important prayer is in our life. But this morning we are going to look at the area of worship. How can we see it become a daily practice, a habit, and a natural place for us to find ourselves? Worship is big and broad, and it covers so many different areas that we simply couldn't possibly cover them all today, which is great for me as I seem to be giving this talk every single time. But for you, I hope that you are able to lean in and to listen, not just to get a wee bit more information, but I hope that you will experience a degree of transformation this morning as we open. Okay, well, why don't you close your eyes? Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump straight in. Jesus, we thank you that you are here and that you want to speak and connect with each one of us individually today, Lord. And we pray that, that you would amplify your voice in our lives, God, that you would increase our capacity to hear it. Would you soften our hearts and open our ears, Lord, that we may hear you and, and hear you clearly, Lord. We pray this all in your precious and your holy name. Amen. So, if we go back to the original Hebrew language, which was what the scriptures were written in, we see the word worship not being translated as a genre of music. I know that's a shocker for some of you. But rather, a posture of the heart before God. One of the Hebrew words for praise is barak. And this word translated literally means to bow and press your face against the ground in adoration. And we see this appear right at the start of our narrative in the creation story. So in Genesis 1, we see God creating the heavens and the earth. He spoke into being good. 
And then after the land and the oceans and the animals, and he said it was good. And then after that, he created you and me. He created mankind, to which he didn't describe as good, but he said that it was very good. And then if we move on into Genesis 2, we get to see this beautiful poetic picture and description of how he did that. We see him kneeling down and scooping up soil from the ground to form and fashion Adam into his own image. Everything up until that point, God spoke into being, but we, we were handmade. And then we see God pressing his face upon Adam and breathing life into his very soul. And we see Adam opening his eyes for the first time. And in this very moment, humanity is being defined by one thing and one thing only, the presence and the nearness of the Father's voice. One commentator wrote this, which I thought was beautiful. The eyes of God were Adam's mirror defining who he was. The eyes of God were Adam's mirror defining who he was. As the wise Marcus Mumford once said, you were made to meet your maker. We were built for encounter. It's how our story begins, we can see, but it's also how our story will end. But in the meantime, we live in a space where our attention is being competed for all the time by different voices. They're trying to occupy more and more headspace and all the time trying to define who we are. And I don't know about you, but for me, the place where I personally experience these voices the most is in the middle of disappointment and failure. Five and a half years ago, Lagan Valley Vineyard began in, let's just say, not the nicest of spaces, right? Was anybody there in Hazem's Lane? Three, four, okay, yeah, a couple of you, you, you all agree with me, right? Um, it, it was kind of this weird shape space where we had, it was just all these different angles. It had this massive, big, bright red wall as you walked in, which for whatever reason, we never ended up getting around to painting. Also, above where we met was a dentist, and every like couple of weeks there would be a leak coming down through the ceiling, which I actually enjoyed the challenge of trying to turn that into a water feature for the Sunday morning gathering. And then we also had a freezer at the back of the room, which had been turned on and off so many times that I think we were all afraid to open, up, open it up and see what was inside of it. Um, but the worst thing, the worst thing about this space was the funky smell on a Sunday morning when we arrived. And what would happen would be we would arrive on a Sunday morning and there right on the step as you would enter into the space was deposited what was it, whatever was in the person's stomach from the night before. And poor Christopher had to clean it up every week, didn't you, Chris? That boy deserves a medal. Anyway, we, we've been meeting in this space for a couple of months, and um, up until this point, it had just been me on a guitar, trying to play a bass drum at the same time, and I've actually never taken the opportunity to apologize for how terrible it was. It was just terrible. It was out of time. It was out of tune. Um, some of you are like, what, what, what has changed? Um, but... 
yeah, I just want to take this moment to apologize to you all. Anyway, this morning, we had a new addition to the worship team. We had a keyboard player, which was amazing. And uh, let's, for talk's sake, let's call her Lizzie, okay? I don't want to give you her name. So um, me and Lizzie leading worship for the first time, first set, goes fantastic, really, really well. Andy jumps up, begins to preach, and as Andy's coming to the end of the talk, he gives me the nod. Have you guys seen that? You know, when the preacher's coming to the end of his talk and he kind of gives the nod, or sometimes we get a wink. I made fun of Stu in the first service. Stu does this kind of like head tilt where he kind of goes back. It's kind of like a L'Oreal advert without the hair. (laughs) Um... And if you haven't noticed it, you will notice it from now on. <laughs> You'll have to work in that. Anyway, so we get, we get the nod, and we, we jump up on stage, and we begin to play. And as we begin to play, I hear Andy moving towards like what I feel is like, you know, if you don't know Jesus um, this morning, like, you know, we want to create a space and an opportunity for you to invite him into your heart. So we're playing, and I'm trying to get Lizzie to go into the intro of the song that I want to go into. So I'm like, Lizzie, go into the intro of Forever. Forever is a song by Bethel, if you didn't know. So she she's, can't hear me. She's not making any eye contact. She looks really confused. So I try it again. Lizzie, can you go into the intro of Forever? Still nothing from her. So at this point, I know Andy's coming to close. So... I decide to lean over and whisper in her ear, Lizzie, and at that point, oh, the loudest noise you could ever imagine. And what happened was my guitar landed on top of her keyboard and hit every single key possible. Meanwhile, she kept her foot on the sustain pedal with her hands up like this, and it kept going and going and going. Eventually, she decided to take her foot off the sustain pedal, and there was an awkward silence. Andy looking at me, not too impressed. Me looking at Lizzie, not too impressed. And let's just say we went out with a bang that Sunday morning. Well, feeling pretty silly into the car and began to drive in contact with anybody, I packed my guitar up, I ran to the car and began to drive home. And as soon as I got into the car, I began to hear these voices. James, you should just give up. You're terrible at this. James, that was just so bad. James, you should never lead worship again. To which I said inside of myself, I'm probably not going to get the opportunity anyway. <laughs> so these voices kept going and going. And kind of like halfway home, I decided to do something that I really didn't want to do. And I began to worship the Lord. I turned on some worship music and began to sing. And these voices that have been so loud in my head, they began to quieten down, and I began to hear a different voice, and it was the voice of Jesus saying, James, great job this morning. You did so well. Hey, it didn't go to plan, but great effort this morning. Keep doing what you're doing. But you know, that day I learned something really important. You see, no matter what you do in life or what your job is, whether you're a teacher, a full-time mom, or a farmer, Whenever you experience bumping into failure, no matter how low it gets, I learned, and I feel like we need to learn,
to build a rhythm, a routine, a habit of worshiping the Lord in the middle of disappointment and on the other side of failure. Because you see, when we choose to worship, we amplify the voice of Jesus in our lives. And I know what some of you are maybe saying this morning, but sure, James, you love all the worship stuff. You love all those songs and singing and playing the guitar and blah, 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 blah. But here's the deal. I'm not here to promote worship so that you sing a little louder on a Sunday. Actually, far from it. I want you all to know this morning that when we choose to worship, we amplify the voice of Jesus in our lives. And why is that so important? Because whatever voice we listen to will define us. Whatever voice we listen to will define us. And we see this as we read on in the story of Genesis. There was a competition over what voice we would be informed by. Genesis Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. If you want to follow along, you can. Now... The snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will, not, you will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him. But the Lord called to man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Here we see one of the biggest hurdles that stops us from entering into worship. And it's the voice of shame and guilt. Shame says, I am not. I am not worthy to worship you, Lord. And guilt says, I can't. Surely I can't worship you, Lord, because of all the things that I have done before. But I love that as soon as Adam and Eve choose to partner with this lie, that he comes after them, the Lord comes after them, calling them by their name. You see, no matter what voice we choose to partner with, God still desires to be in a close and intimate relationship with us all. You know that Hebrew word that we looked at, Barak, I mentioned earlier on, that means to bow down and to worship and to adore? Well, guess what? The first time that we see this in the scriptures is in chapter 1, verse 28. But it's not directed from us to God. Rather, it's directed from God to us, which is kind of weird, you might think. But stay with me for just a second. In verse 28, it says that God blessed us. 
And that word blessed translated is the Hebrew word barak, which means before we had the chance to adore him, he adored us, his creation, his handiwork. You see, because we never did anything at this point to earn his attention or affection. Therefore, we can't do anything to lose his attention or affection. So the next time the voice of shame and guilt comes into your life, I want you to stop and ask yourself this question. Whose voice is informing you? Telling you who you are and what you should do. Because if it's not the voice of Jesus, I can't encourage you enough to begin to worship. Why? Because when we worship, we amplify the voice of Jesus in our lives. And whatever voice we listen to will be the voice that defines us. So this morning... If we are acknowledging that whatever voice we choose to listen to will be the one that forms us into who we are becoming, I guess the next question has to be, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we do that better? How do we hear his voice? What is our plan? This is one thing I've learned to do a bit better since being around this community. Um, Since being around, I would, um, and since working for the, for the vineyard, I have came to Andy numerous times with great ideas, massive dreams of taking them to him. And his first question is always, James, sounds great, but what's the plan? And on my part, that used to be the end of the conversation. But there's something true here. You know, we have to ask ourselves, what is our plan? There has to be a plan that will get us from A to B. And some of you are like, duh, James, you should know that. But I think for most of us, if we're being honest, we can relate to this. We've maybe got around this community and got inspired about this whole idea about bringing the life of Jesus to the Lagan Valley area, to every person and to every part. But we're not quite sure how to do it. We're not quite sure how to get ourselves there. We don't have a plan. But this morning, I want to ask you a different question because I think we might be asking the wrong question. Don't get me wrong, I think we need to have a plan. But maybe we need to ask ourselves this. If we want to be in this for the long term, and if we want to see our kids' kids advance the kingdom, what sort of person do we need to be in order to do this well and faithfully? Let me make myself clear. I'm not suggesting that we have to be at a certain level of maturity in our faith before we start doing stuff for God. But rather, how do we do stuff for God, not just for a short spell, but for the rest of our lives? You see, I think we have compartmentalized our relationship with God and doing stuff for God. And I think that both of these things are inseparable. Because you see... Who we are being formed into directly impacts how well we will follow Jesus. Who we are being formed into directly impacts how well we will follow Jesus. And I believe if we want to follow Jesus better, we need to understand that worship plays a vital role in that. So 
Some of you may not know, but on top of working here, I also teach drums. And I absolutely love it. I teach in uh, one or two schools. And um, one of the things that um, with teaching is I have pupils at different stages, different abilities. And um, one thing that I really (laughs) enjoy is being able to tell whether they have practiced or not, all right? Has anybody here ever been in that position where they know they have a lesson the next day, they haven't practiced, they think they're going to practice, all of a sudden the day disappears and there they are about to walk into the lesson, they haven't practiced, they know the teacher's going to know and it's going to be really, really awkward. Anybody? Yeah? Okay, right. Well, some of my pupils go through time periods of practicing really, really hard and it's, it's great. But then other times I end up looking at the same thing with them weeks and weeks on end because they haven't practiced and they can't progress. I think this is sometimes how we approach worship. You see, a lot of the time we have these scrambled, disoriented desires, which can be confusing. Sometimes we are super passionate about worshiping God, and other times we let our emotions and feelings dictate if we're going to worship or not that day. But I think we've been, a soul, we've been sold a lie that tells us this. That when we come to Jesus, our desires will radically change and we'll just want to read the scriptures and we'll want to pray and we'll want to worship all day long. But when we believe this as truth, there will come a day that we will bump into not really feeling like doing these things, we'll not feel like opening the scriptures, we'll not feel like praying, and we'll definitely maybe not feel like worshiping. When we get into a rut of thinking this and thinking that this is true, there's something that will happen inside of us where we will think that there's something wrong with us or God is this distant being that doesn't want to hang out with us. So what is the answer? Well, let me be real for a minute, and I hope I don't offend anybody here today, but I think... I think we unknowingly and unconsciously slip into the habit of showing up once a week to church. And this is the only place, if if we're feeling like it, that we'll worship God and we'll tell him how much we love him and adore him. And I think if that's where we are, we'll not only get a distorted picture of what worship is, but we will live a diminished experience of what it is to be in relationship and follow Jesus. Now, I'm only married seven weeks, so I'm no expert. I've got my L plates on, right? But imagine if I never talked to Hannah. Imagine if I never told her that I loved her. That would be weird, right? Or if I just told her once a week and thought that that would be enough for our relationship to flourish, to be sustained and maintained. I'm no expert. But even if words of affirmation were at the bottom of Hannah's love languages, I'm pretty sure that the relationship would be in a pretty bad trajectory. You see, like my relationship with Hannah, and like my drumming pupils that just show up once a week and don't practice expecting to get better, all of these things require one of the most valuable things that we have, and it's our time. And in the same way, if we want to become more like Jesus, it requires us to build lives full of rhythms and routines, spending time in worship. 
Here's what James K. Smith has to say about it. Worship is the imagination station that incubates our loves and longings. So if you are passionate about seeking justice, renewing culture, and taking up your vocation to unfurl all of creation's potential, you need to invest in the formation of your imagination. You need to curate your heart. You need to worship well because you are what you love and you worship what you love. James K.A. Smith, I think, perfectly sums it up and hits the nail on the head here. It is so, so important that we are paying attention to what we are worshipping and how we are worshipping because the reason why we worship is because we are becoming the thing that which we worship. And that's why worship is one of the greatest gifts God has given to us. Because every time we worship, we are being molded and formed and fashioned more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So the plan, the plan has to be for us to craft out enough time to allow worshipping God to become an unconscious habit so that we may be crafted more into the image of his son, Jesus Before I move on, I want to speak to all the parents in the room. Like I said, I'm only married and we're not planning to have kids anytime soon. Isn't that right, babe? I have to be careful what I say. My father-in-law is in the room today. Um, I am living. I am living in the victory of what my parents contended for. You see, they chose... They chose to create time to worship God. To which over a period of time in them formed an unconscious habit of worshipping which took place all the time in our house and in our car. And from a very early age I can remember this like old school Graham of the car full pelt singing songs to Jesus. Like old school Graham Kendrick songs, right? Shine Jesus, shine. Shine, Jesus, shine. Yes, Jenny, you love that. <laughs> um, Darling Czech, any Darling Czech fans in the room? Yeah, some Darling Czech in there. Um, but these songs, because they were sang over and over and over again, there was time dedicated to singing them in the house, in our house and in our car. These songs have been marked on my very soul. They've been inscribed on my heart. They've formed me into who I am today. So please, 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 never underestimate the power of worshipping with your kids. I know Jess is doing an amazing job at uh, using Table Talk. If you haven't used Table Talk, you don't know what Table Talk is. It's a fantastic tool for you to engage with your kids and explore faith. But at the minute, they're looking at this whole area of worship and why do we worship? And I actually have signed up the emails just to kind of see what was going on. And it is fantastic. It is so, so good. So if you're not engaging with that, please can I encourage you to, if you don't, if you don't know how to sign up to that, please grab one of us after and we'll help you get set up with that. So... Great. Okay, so before I move on to my last point, <laughs> I have to show you a video of me worshipping with my favourite young person. Are you up for this? If 
Make sure eyes on the screen. so good right back in the early days I would have went around down the Indiana's house and we would have been like preparing set lists and working on songs and Nora always used to come in with this big smile on her face with her wee guitar and wanted to join in all the time and it's just amazing to see this Christmas I don't know whether you were there but at our carol service Nora led us all in worship she was singing a song with the kids choir it was just beautiful very very proud of her Anyway, turn to your neighbor and tell them James is nearly finished. (laughs) Third and final point, here we go. There is a cost, if you haven't figured out by now, to living a life of worship. There is a cost. To finish, I want to just for a few minutes look at one of my favorite moments of worship in the Bible. If you turn um, in your Bibles to... The book of Mark, chapter 14, I think it will appear on the screen. Um, And we're going to jump in at verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 3, says this. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Did anybody get stuck at the year's wages part? Anybody? Just me, right? Well, um, according to the most recent survey done of hours and earnings, the average annual income is £28,766 for full-time employees in the UK. Some of you are like, People earn that much money. I know, it's crazy. But imagine imagine I bought in a briefcase, and in the briefcase was £28,000. And I began to set it on fire and told you all, this is my worship to God. This is my sacrifice of praise. How many of you would be freaking out just like what Mary is doing here? Wasting a year's worth of wages, 28,000 pounds of worship poured upon the head of Jesus. And she do, as she does this, we see in the story, the voices in the room begin to challenge what she's done. Surely this money could have been given to the poor. Oswald Chambers says this, Good is the enemy of God's best. 
good is the enemy of God's best. And this is exactly what is taking place in the room, what these people are trying to get her to do. But the best thing in this moment is for the lady to pour out everything she has, all of it over Jesus. You see, when we decide that we want to worship Jesus for the rest of our lives, it has a cost. It's worth far more than your money. It's worth far more than your acts of service. He wants our worship. He wants it all. Don't get me wrong, being generous with our money and with our acts of service um, are pretty high on the list when following Jesus before I get into trouble. And they probably do come under the umbrella of worship. But above all of that, he wants our hearts to be given over to him in worship. And I know for some of us, this feels more costly at some times than others. For some of us right now, we're walking through difficult and tricky situations and circumstances. And the last thing we feel like doing is worshiping God. But let me remind you that on this side of time, the worship we give costs far more than when we reach Revelation 21, where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. You see, when this happens, every tear will be wiped away. But on this side of time, we get to give our tears and worship to Jesus. For those of us who feel like we have nothing to give in worship, listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. Don't bring to God what you ought to bring him. Bring him who you are. It's beautiful. Don't bring God what you ought to bring him. Bring him who you are. And this lady brings all that she has in worship to Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak in verse 6. He says this, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. This is the ultimate reward for every worshiping heart. To hear the Son of God say that your worship has done a beautiful thing to his heart. And I don't know about you, but I dream of giving Jesus this kind of worship. The kind of worship that touches his heart. And she does it. She does it right here. How? By giving him everything. Hannah, why don't you come on up and the band. Um, so to close, why don't, why don't we stand? For some of us this morning, whenever I began to speak about different voices in your head, voices of shame and voices of guilt, and I feel like the Lord this morning wants to silence those voices, and he wants to replace them with his voice. Jesus wants to be the loudest voice in your life. And that's going to take place this morning as we step in and lean into worship. You know, some of us may not feel like worshiping this morning, but please, 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 can I encourage you? 
Because when we worship Jesus, we amplify his voice in our lives. And it's so important because whatever the loudest voice in our life is, it will define us. And I feel like the Lord is here and he wants to speak to each one of us right now. So why don't you go ahead and close your eyes. Lord, would you come right now? Come and speak to our very being. Come and speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that where we have partnered with the voice of guilt and shame, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break that right now, Lord, and that you would occupy our minds and our hearts. I believe in the room today that there are some parents who have partnered with the voice of guilt, where they have maybe felt like they aren't a good enough parent, that they have failed as a parent. And the Lord wants to remind you this morning that you have not failed, that he is only getting started, that he wants to help you and guide you and lead you and that you are doing an incredible job, that he is your biggest fan, that he is cheering you on, that he is championing you as a parent this morning. For some of you, the idea of creating space for another thing <laughs> in our lives. There was like a, an anxiety that took place inside of you. You're thinking, where am I going to fit this in? I don't have space or time for anything else in my life. I feel like the Lord wants to show up in spaces and places that are going to surprise you. It might be around your breakfast table in the morning. It might be just before you lay your head on your pillow. It might be in the car. It might be in your workplace. It might be with your partner or your spouse in the mornings. I don't know what that is, but I feel like the Lord wants to highlight and show you. This isn't impossible, but it is going to take intentionality. So Lord, would you come and speak to us now, God? Father God, we thank you that you first adored us. And in response to that, Lord, we want to tell you this morning how much we love you, God. We want to give you our tears. We want to bring you not what we ought to bring you, but Lord, we want to bring you who we are, every part. God, we grant you access to every area of our lives, Lord. Come and speak. Come and speak to us today, Lord, we pray.